Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. Today we're talking about bed sharing. Today I'm joined by my friend Amanda Jansen, who is a registered nurse, an IVCLC, and she has eight years of L&D and postpartum experience as a nurse. So lots of knowledge, lots of wisdom today, and we're going to be talking about a taboo-ish topic, but I want you to kind of stay with us, stick with us with an open mind, really trying to hear the things that we are sharing with you. It may resonate with you. It may not resonate with you. Either way, I hope this conversation serves as something that will help you better understand your options when it comes to getting sound sleep for you and your family. So Amanda, let's start off with, well, I guess first, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to finally be talking to you and yeah, sharing this kind of outside of the Instagram space. So Absolutely. You can tell that I'm super excited to jump in. I think this is a topic that a lot of people are interested in. They don't know where to get information. And there's a little bit of like shame and embarrassment or like you got to whisper about it in order to have these conversations. So I want to to share a space where you don't have to be afraid to talk about it. We can talk about it in a factual way, in a way that... um, give you confidence in a way that will give you resources that you get to make the choice that's best for your baby. And if you find it doesn't align with you, then don't do it. But if it does, then you should do it safely. So let's start off with the basics. What is bed sharing? And is it the same thing as coast? And when people say I co-sleep, do they mean bed sharing or are they separate? So I definitely teach my clients that it is separate. Now, if you get online, you'll even realize like some of the um, articles and stuff that you read, like there, there's not like a set definition. Like if you look up co-sleeping, some still associate that with um, in the bed sleep. Um, but now that there's more products on the market, you know, they have those little bedside cars that kind of line up directly with a bed. That is my personal definition and probably for this show, I'll probably, you know, just to make it clear, um, bed sharing, you know, obviously infants in the bed with you, co-sleeping, 
you know, there's something right beside the bed, like kind of like an arm's reach, um, but not necessarily, you know, right next to mom in that C position. Um, and then there's room sharing, which, you know, it could just be a crib in the same room, um, which AAP actually recommends, you know, for the first six months of life, actually up to a year, but some parents are like, get this kid out of my room. <laughs> like that's not going to happen. So there's kind of like three levels I like to, um, you know, inform parents of, and then of course, you know, the independent sleep in the separate, um, room, you know, that a lot of, um, families choose to do. So. Cool. So let's talk about the whole, um, ABCs. So, the, you know, your baby is alone, they're mm -hmm. on their back, and they're in a crib. Um, that's your ABCs of safe sleep that we all know in America. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's pretty much an abstinence only uh, kind of approach, much like our very, you know, it's a failed sex ed program that we have. It's also right. a failed sleep program that we have. We can see how our track record with abstinence only programs yeah. It's not very high here in America. So what is the issue when it comes to abstinence only? Why um, why are people still choosing to uh, co-sleep and bed share? What, what do people love about it so much? So if you want to speak specifically on the bed sharing piece or the co-sleeping piece first, we can go that route. Or yeah. I can go the route of, you know, kind of, yeah, the abstinence only, but inherently parents either accidentally fall asleep with their infant, you know, in a rocker or on the couch. Um, those are like kind of two separate conversations. So a little bit more of my history, I did bear bed share with my first. Um, as a postpartum nurse, you know, I'm teaching parents, you know, the ABCs of sleep. Um, I was working in a hospital um, setting at that time, and this was kind of around the time that the, um, you could get a special, you know, initiative, you know, if you followed these five things, um, you couldn't have pictures of babies, like, cuddling with a blanket, like, in the hospital, because it was, you know, against this specific initiative. And so we were kind of given like, you know, this gag order where we couldn't share anything outside of the ABCs. So yeah, the alone on their back in the crib um, was kind of what I preached, but I always, always, you know, my discharge education took like over an hour. <laughs> I always was getting like harped on by my supervisor. Like this is taking too long. I'm like, but you don't understand. Like these parents aren't going to get this information anywhere else. So, I mean, there's other little things that have kind of been tacked on to that to additionally decrease the risk. Um, but when you're only given that and you're in either that dire situation where you're like so sleep deprived and you literally cannot help yourself, you know, from like, I think we've all done it. Like, that's what happened to me. Like I was, you know, I had my rocker in my nursery, you know, that I would get up and go to, um, every three to four hours. And like, there are times where you start nodding off and you like look down and you're 
so thankful that you didn't drop the baby or the baby didn't fall into the crack of that, you know, oversized plush sofa or um, recliner that, you know, the American furniture industry was not made for babies. So that's kind of um, one thing to keep in mind. So um, if you're going to do it, yeah, there definitely are things that need to be put in place to make it safe. Um, And the number one resource that I like to send moms to is the, is James McKenna's work. Um, So he actually has, you know, the mother baby like sleep laboratory that where he's, you know, put babies up against mom. It's a monitored situation. They're monitoring heart rate, you know, oxygen levels, respiratory rate, brain waves, I think even in some of them. Um, And he's an anthropologist. So I, I always, you know, like to go to his website and his resources. And he actually has, you know, some guidelines on there that, um, you know, you can print out and read through. Um, it, they're a little in-depth if you want me to go over each one specifically. Um, but the main thing is sober mom, um, no drug use, no like heavy sedative like medications. Um, and, you know, baby needs to be term. So preterm babies are definitely more at risk um, just because of the brain development. And there's so much that we still don't know about SIDS or sudden infant death syndrome. Um, but a lot of what he, you know, is researching is just the neuro like pathways and that like instinct to breathe, you know, babies have periods of apnea, but once it gets past 20 seconds, you know, what inhibits that, um, biological, you know, response, you know, for some babies, you know, they stop breathing or for some, you know, they just instinctually start breathing again. Um, so we've got, yeah, no alcohol use, no drug use, um, no sedative medications. And then it needs to be like a primary caregiver. So mom, dad, both aware that baby's in bed. That's definitely something that I think a lot of parents maybe don't talk about. You know, if you've got a huge dad that's like, you know, sleeps like a bear and just like does not have any type of... um, you know, body awareness and the body bed. awareness. Exactly. So both parents have to be on board and agree. Um, and then this is one thing that unfortunately kind of in the bed sharing world, you know, you've either bed shared all with all your babies and you are still, you know, sometimes sharing that sleep space with a toddler, that toddler does definitely has no body awareness. So ideally, you know, until the infant is one, they should not be sleeping in a, uh, in a, in a bed with an older sibling. Um, and that, that one gets to me because, you know, in our, in our community, we did have, I think a baby that was lost and that, um, was a contributing factor was the, was the sibling. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. Um, there's a few other things, um, you know, we think of them as minor, but they really can make a huge difference. Um, so long hair, you know, needs to be tied back. 
um, because it could be, you know, like a, a strangling issue and it has happened like it's been documented and that's even on James uh his website and some of his research um what else so like place your baby in the bed so where your baby sleeps actually in the bed around the other adults in the bed matters as well it does so mom's kind of have an instinctual position they get into and it's been you know kind of coined or termed the c-hold so like you know knees are at an angle and you kind of have your arm around baby and they're snuggled in that perfect little spot that you know our bodies were made to you know either breastfeed or you know sleep in um and so it really kind of just depends on like bed size you know size of the parents you know what what you feel comfortable with so um, a lot of parents, if you don't want to put your mattress on the floor, so that's another thing, you know, getting it off a platform in case the baby would roll off, you know, as they get a little bit bigger, you know, and a brand new newborn doesn't move, <laughs> you know, they're just kind of like there and laying. So they're not going to necessarily roll unless mom or dad, you know, accidentally like pushed baby off. Um, so that's another step, you know, as we're going into that, you know, putting the mattress directly on the floor. So there's no, you know, height, um, to really worry about. And then you also then, you know, want to avoid any type of gap or crack, you know, against, you know, a dresser or a nightstand or something, you know, then that again could, um, kind of entrap baby and as asphyxiate them. So, um, let's see. So the sea hold, that's kind of the direction we are going. Um, so yeah, I personally sleep on, I love sleeping on my left just because I have chronic issues with my back on my right side. Um, and so the way just we sleep in our own bed, um, baby is actually on the outside and I just give myself plenty of room. Um, there is a way to do it, you know, on the inside, but dad has to be more aware. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, um, the downfall of putting baby in the middle and you doing the C hold around them in that situation. Does that make sense? It's kind of hard to paint the picture, um, virtually, but there's a great, just little illustration. I remember seeing in my lactation education early on as an IBCLC, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this makes complete sense. Like it actually does look very safe. Like if we do it appropriately, um, you know, no heavy bedding, um, really fluffy, warm um, sheets, blankets. Um, and then you can still sleep with a pillow. You know, you can still have a light blanket like on the lower part of your body. I personally like to sleep with like a breast sleeping nursing bra, um, just cause loose clothing too, you know, it's just another layer, another thing to factor in. Um, so just removing all those things that you can control and knowing, you know, what to look out for. Um, and then it is also really important to say babies should still be on their back, um, when they're in bed. So I believe it was like in the eighties when the back to sleep campaign kind of took over the world, you know, that, that happened in Europe, it happened here. Um, you know, and we did, we decreased a ton of deaths just by putting babies on their back instead of on their belly. 
Um, and oh, then the, not a lot of things in America work, but that one worked. Right. Like that one, it worked. And then we kind of just saw a stall and I'm, I'm, that's why I'm coming on and bringing this information to parents because I feel like, you know, we've stalled out. Why are we still having deaths? You know, if we aren't going to take the conversation another way now, because there are those variables, you know, that we have been able to um, pinpoint in different studies that have contributed to SIDS um, either, you know, of course it's all unintentional, but without the education, you know, they're just, they're just more at risk, um, especially with, oh, and tobacco use. Did I, did I say tobacco? Like smoking, alcohol, and drug use are, are huge. Um, and then we also know just breastfeeding in general decreases the risk. Um, and so that's where my conversation really shifted. You know, as an IBCLC, I saw moms, you know, they went back to work, either babies, you know, maybe started eating less during the day because of bottle refusal. And then their babies were cluster feeding, you know, at night and they were either going to wean altogether or, you know, they were dragging their tired bodies, you know, to a nursery, you know, three, four or five times a night. And it just was not, it's not sustainable. Um, and so that's where I think that, yeah, implementing the safer steps, um, if you choose, you know, to continue to breastfeed, um, should be a valid option. And I just, I wasn't able to really give that to parents in the hospital setting. And so that's kind of what I do now in my private practice. Um, it's just bring the information, of course, you know, parents make that decision for, you know, them and their family. Um, and we, we just go with it, so. Can we also talk about the point that it doesn't have to be something that you like choose and stick with? Like while your children are sick, you can oh, bed yeah. share and co-sleep, but once they're well, put them back in their crib that is beside your bed. If your baby starts teething, co-sleep for a couple nights, bed share for a couple nights, and once that tooth is broken through and they're back to sleeping, yeah. put them in their crib next to your bed. You don't have to choose something and stick with it, right? Exactly. Like, you can use this to your advantage. If you're sick or you go out drinking, put your baby in the crib for that night and resume bed sharing the next night. Um, I think the bottom line is that abstinence only doesn't work because people aren't going to not do it. They're still going to do it. They're just going to do it unsafely. And so it's really important to provide people with a space that they can get solid, evidence-based, honest and transparent information about things that maybe aren't mainstream, like ABC sleeping, um, so that they can do it safely. So uh, I love that you touched on, talked about, touched on uh, the SIDS rate when it comes to, to bed sharing. And then you mentioned that your baby needs to be on their back. How about swaddling? Can we still swaddle a baby while we bed share, especially in those newborn days, that first eight to 12 weeks while they're really not rolling, but they could use that sensory input during sleep? So it's not recommended that they be swaddled. Um, sure. I don't, and my, my opinion on swaddles might be a little bit different than yours. Sure. Um, there is that exaggerated, you know, reflex that can startle baby awake. Um, but when 
you're alone and in a crib and you know, you're startled awake. It's so much different than I, uh, I could go into, you know, energy and just the closeness, yeah. you know, being yeah. against another human yeah. that is so much more subtle, you know, in a, in a bed sharing, um, space. Um, so it's not recommended that they swaddle. They could be in a sleep sack, you know, if you want their sure. feet contained, um, but their arms actually should be unrestricted. Um, and there's a little bit of, I mean, there's, you know, some professionals that are kind of looking into the swaddle and the, the snoo, you know, of course yes. <laughs> I, I could go on about the snoo, yes. but being able to actually integrate those reflexes. So they're not, um, they actually can come out of that exaggerated startle reflex faster with an unswaddled approach. Um, so that that's kind of my little piece on the swaddle and bed sharing. Sure. And it seems like parents almost take the place of the swaddle. If you have that closeness, I would also assume mm -hmm. that your baby's probably reaching to you during the night or they're touching yeah, you. Kind of have that the night. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they get the same sensory input. It just is in a different way. Um, you know, arguably for some people, a better way because um, yeah. it's human connection and input rather than from a swaddle. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then you touched on how bed sharing can help support your breastfeeding um, relationship. But is there anything else that we need to know about bed sharing and um, breastfeeding in particular? I would say it would need to be, I mean, at this point, uh, we should be exclusively breastfeeding. Um, I, I think a lot of people are trying to, you know, work on, you know, is breast milk in a bottle the same, you know, if you're waking up and doing a bottle versus um, a bottle of breast milk versus feeding directly at the breast, but it gets a little tricky because, um, while it may not impact baby as much, like just that mom-baby connection and the, the slight hormone, you know, adjustments and just the awareness a breastfeeding mother has, it, it, can, it could still be slightly different. Um, but at this point, I don't know. It's, I kind of go, when I do my consults, it's on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So formula, you know, alone, you know, one bottle of formula, like, you know, early in the day, do, do I think that completely wipes out the opportunity for a family to bed share? I'm not to that point yet. Um, but it does, it, you do need to be more mindful, um, just because with the formula use, sometimes babies can be overfed. The theory is that they get put into like a, a deeper sleep and that, that biological thing that we just, you know, that glitch that happens in the brain that just tells the baby, you know, or doesn't tell the baby to breathe could be affected, um, with larger volumes of milk that takes, you know, longer to digest. That's, that's kind of the thought process behind that. And is that one of the recommendations right now, or just something that we're noticing that formula fed babies may not should be, you know, bed sharing or co-sleeping with parents? It is uh, specifically with James McKenna and his recommendations, it yeah. should be breastfeeding mothers. Okay. Um, and he's actually coined the term breast sleeping. Like, so it should just be exclusively milk from the breast. Wow. Okay. Um, if families are going to do this, but okay. you know, we want to be mindful and 
and still make something safer, you know, for those moms that are bottle feeding and for those moms that are still getting up, you know, maybe three, four times a night, you know, bottle feeding on a sofa, I don't think is a safer option than bottle feeding, you know, maybe in bed, but it, it's just, it takes, um, some awareness. And so in those situations, I usually recommend parents, you know, setting like a 10 or 15 minute timer. And then, you know, at least they have something that maybe will arouse them in the event baby would get put into a position um, that could be dangerous, you know, in that bottle feeding situation Um, or even breastfeeding situation. You know, maybe if you're a co-sleeping parent, you know, with the bedside car and you bring baby, you know, to feed in sideline, maybe you still want that little reminder hey, let's put baby back in the co-sleeper. Um, we tried that with my husband and he was worthless, <laughs> you know, so I, you still needed like the, the little alarm or the little, you know, timer to kind of re-rouse you. Because again, sure. if you're talking about hormones, yeah. you get drowsy breast sleeping. Like you will fall asleep at some point with your baby if you're breastfeeding, especially lying down. But that's why I think so many people love this is because honestly, I can say like, even with a four week old, I feel rested every single morning. Like it's, it's kind of amazing. Like that shift just of not having to drag yourself out of bed and walk to a separate room to feed in a separate space. Um, And I think that's important because, you know, sleep deprivation can cause so, you know, so many issues. If you want to start going down the maternal mental health, you know, route, like it's huge. And that's why we're postpartum doulas because we know that sleep is important for, um, for families. Um, but I will, while we're kind of on that topic, if you are so sleep deprived, like even as a mom, even as a breastfeeding mom, there are, you know, some instances where we need to be more careful. If you are to that point where you just cannot even carry a conversation. You are so tired. That's probably not the time to start bed sharing. Yeah. That's where I would call in your outer resources, you know, bring baby to you to feed, you know, as a postpartum doula, I know you do this, you know, overnight care where, you know, you take baby to mom, you feed, you go back in in 15, 20 minutes, you take baby and you let her sleep and get recovered before you start this new practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, sleep deprivation will absolutely impact your healing too. So I think if you're in a bind and, you know, maybe a, a doula isn't within your means to have, have your partner get up and go get your baby and bring them to you, yeah. right? Um, it's also an option for you to set up camp in your baby's nursery. Get you may not have um, like a whole full blow up mattress, but get all the pillows and the blankets and the towels in your room and set up camp and get, you know, a nice sleep. Put a, a couch in your baby's room. Ask for a futon. You've got lots of options. There are ways that you can absolutely reduce the amount of time that you spend out of bed and awake. Um, but yeah, sleep deprivation is huge. So just to set the scene for everyone, some of the benefits of not having to get out of the bed is, you know, let's say you're laying in bed with your baby, um, bed sharing, and they start to rouse because they're hungry. You don't get out of bed. You don't have to turn on the light. 
You don't have to get really situated. You just get situated enough to get a boob in their mouth and yeah. they're already on their back. You keep it yeah. dark so you don't, um, you know, you don't kind of get your baby more awake than they really need to be. You don't have to get more awake than you really need to be. Um, I think for me as a doula, that's why I hear the most people say that they choose to bed chair. It's just easier. Um, and it's fascinating to hear that you get more sleep with your baby right next to you because I too hear that a lot is they just sleep deeper knowing that their baby is right there, even though they are so educated and well aware of the risk of bed sharing it's actually why they choose to do it is because that deep sleep, that sound sleep for both them and their baby, the ease of it all, the way that it does support them getting more rest and their breastfeeding. Those are all the reasons that people are choosing to safely bed share. Um, cool. All right. Is there anything else that you want us to know about bed sharing? You know, I think that takeaway is just, you know, yeah, seek out the information and seek out the resources. If something just intuitively does not feel good for you. So, you know, there's a whole community of, you know, sleep trainers and there's a whole community of, you know, the hippie crunchy, you know, bed sharers. But if it really does need to be a choice that comes from like within, like something's not working. So how yeah, how do I get the information and how do I make this informed decision um, so I can feel confident doing it? Um, I think that would be probably my main, yeah, the main thing I would want listeners to take away from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there is a happy medium. You can find what works for you. Feel free to take and choose and leave from all the options that you know to make up your own equation, your own recipe, if you will. Oh my gosh, Amanda, this has been an amazing conversation. I really, really appreciate it. So if people wanted to reach out to you, follow you, connect with you, work with you, learn more about bed sharing from you, how can they do that? And where can they find you? So I am on Instagram. So Midwest Mama Collective. So um, I'm based out of Kansas, but I can do virtual consults basically anywhere. Um, my website is midwestmamacollective.com. Email is hello at midwestmamacollective. So it basically is just me. It's just me at this point. Um, and I, again, have kind of transitioned from the hospital birth center space and doing more private, you know, birth support, postpartum support and lactation support. And I mean, sleep just is intertwined in all of that. And so I kind of just bring all my um, experience and education and yeah, present all the options to, to families. Cool. That's my jam. That's the name of the game around here. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Birth Launch Podcast. I will see you next week, but until then, head over to our Instagram at Tranquility by Hehe and give us a follow there, or you can find us on YouTube. It's Tranquility by Hehe there as well. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. 
I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining the Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to the Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.